The crew of the ship show would like to dedicate this episode to Aaron Schwartz. It's time for the Ship Show, the podcast where we talk about build engineering, DevOps, release management, and everything in between. Welcome to our first episode of 2013, and appropriately enough, episode 13. I'm your host, Paul Reed, SoberBuildEng on Twitter and at SoberBuildEngineer.com. And who's with me tonight for the new year? Just Sasha from Minneapolis, Hawaii. Yusuf at BuildScientist on Twitter, uh, BuildScientist.com. EJ Saramella from Backwoods, Massachusetts. How was your New Year's, guys? Did you have a fun, fun New Year's? Oh, yes. Awesome. I had a bout of norovirus right after the new year. That's not good. Yeah, I just recently saw the, the Google flu map, and it made me very, like, oh, my God, I can't leave my house. It was, like, contagion level. We're all yeah, done. that wasn't even the flu. I can still get that. And I'm now I'm in, like, paranoia land because I feel I'm worried. That People might, are dying in Minnesota in, like, droves and stuff. That might be a little bit of a TMI, Sasha. What? That you had the whatever thing, and you could still get the flu. Oh, norovirus. Yeah. Well, for our first episode of 2013, we wanted to do a retrospective on 2012 and talk a little bit about the trends in our space and and what we all learned, and then also take a look forward to 2013 and what we we all think the big trends are going to be, make some predictions, and then uh, we'll we'll see if we're right. So we'll be doing that in the second segment. But uh, first up, as we always do, news and views. And so we start 2013 with news of Mozilla bringing uh, 64-bit Windows nightly builds back. We reported... Uh, I guess it was uh, a couple episodes ago that they had decided to stop doing 64-bit Windows builds, and it seems like the consensus at the time on the show was there were a bunch of us who couldn't understand why, and I guess they ultimately came to that decision as well. Did you guys uh, see this article, see the discussion around it? I looked at the article. I still don't understand why we care. (laughs) <laughs> well, if you have a lot of Firefox tabs open, you would care. That was that was actually, I think, the big the big use case was people on Windows who were hitting the four gig barrier because they had like a gazillion tabs open. Okay. So. Well, how many how many people are running sixty four bit Windows? Anybody who's running Windows, I would think. Yeah, I think most people. Well, anyone who's not still running like XP or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I've been when I did have a Windows laptop, which I no longer do, I ran. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think they just did, it's kind of funny, they did what we talked about when we discussed this, is I don't think it's a, a supported, a fully supported platform. Uh, I think it's still just the nightlies exist, but but it's one of those, uh, and I remember uh, Seth saying when we were talking about this, that having the code coverage for 64-bit builds was, was useful, and so they'll still have that, which could be beneficial, so. But yeah, th- those are those are back. So the next up uh, item is Etsy released a database management tool, it looks like, called uh, Schemanator. Um, and it helps with deployments of schema changes to your databases. Uh, Sasha, you uh, found this. Is that right? I did. I just ran across it in my Prismatic this week. Uh, it looks pretty neat. One of the big problems that we still have, it's definitely not the, the antithesis of ASL problem, is whether or not we can do 50 deployments a day or 10 or 1. Most people can't do very nimble schema changes to the database, and it makes everything way hard. So what they're doing here is pretty cool. I haven't had a chance to look at the tool in depth or anything, but the fact that they've managed to solve the problem in-house is pretty cool at this point. All of the the times that I've developed where there's a database attached, doing reliable deploys involving schema changes has always been like part of it. You know, when you get into the rollback part, it's even harder. <laughs> right. So that, I, have a, I have a quick question. So I'm more familiar with Liquibase, but I'm a very distant user of it. And uh, as we were talking before the show, I know that it made Dev happy and it made our QA departments pretty happy, but I didn't have any direct interaction with it. What's your experience? Have you looked at this? Or are you using this currently? Or uh, Well, we've used... We use Liquibase where I'm at right now. I haven't used it too closely. A couple of experiences I had with it were really painful. Uh, it's possible that those could be automated out of existence and, and the devs who are using it would not notice these things. But uh, when I was playing with it, it was still pretty primitive and I wasn't doing the automation for it. Somebody else was. So it was mostly me trying to follow directions on a wiki and trying not to stab my eyes out from 
any difficulty of getting stuff going with it. So I don't really know anything about Liquibase. I don't even know if it's a free tool or if it's a pay tool. But Yeah, it's free. Interesting. Okay, well, that's at least, I've, it's a good thing. We, I'm glad we didn't pay for it. Yeah, my, my experience with Liquibase has been um, the developers that I've worked with, they don't want to have to actually define their uh, SQL in XML. So that's kind of how Liquibase works. You're defining your schema in XML and then... Uh, yeah, I do too. So, I actually use a tool called Flyway. Uh, maybe I can talk about that later. That would be cool because I didn't even know what word you just said. Flyway. Oh, Flyway. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I thought was Flyway a, a schema related? No, it's not. It's not Flyaway. It's Flyway. Fly. <laughs> <laughs> Fly. Yeah. Okay. And, but it's it's for d database schema stuff. Yes. I, I am super old school, and I just deploy stuff via, like, QL scripts, and I basically hate my life when I do that, so certainly I'll be taking a look at these, because I'm in a market for a tool that is smarter than I am when it comes to these deployment stuff. See, it seems like that's, it, it, you know, it's funny, too, because we, we saw in the, like, the kind of the NoSQL, the push behind NoSQL, and it seems like that was one of the things they were trying to solve for, is the fact that you have to just, you know have a data description language and then you can just change the schema of your data stuff by just kind of putting things in different data well, we should wait to have that talk until Seth gets here since he can actually speak authoritatively about a NoSQL solution yeah it's true so last up tonight news of vulnerabilities for both Java and Ruby on Rails came out over the holidays now it sounds like the Ruby on Rails one was actually a, a relatively big one because it affected uh, a number of versions. I mean, it looks like it had been a vulnerability for quite a, a long-standing amount of time. And then also Java had a, I guess, a zero day that they released a fix for. Uh, did you guys see news of of either or both of those? I saw the real stuff all over Twitter, and it was you know it was the sky is falling, the sky is falling, disable all your Facebook apps and stuff that are Rails apps, and I was like. How the hell do I know which ones are Rails apps? So I was like, fine, I'm just not going to bother with any of them because really, what can they get? Let me out here, guys. Does anybody else know? No, I don't. No, I, I don't either. I didn't know that you could run Rails apps on Facebook. Or I live in a cave, so I don't really have a Facebook account. Well, that's okay. Uh, so I, I saw the buzz about it on Twitter, but I didn't see people telling you to disable Facebook apps. That I saw something that said disable all your... I don't even remember what it was now, and I was like, I don't even know how to deal with that so maybe i misread something that i saw but yeah i was like i don't even know how to tell any of the apps that i use or, or rails apps or not i mean i know that living social uses rails right who doesn't that's all i know well you know the one interesting thing i did read is that um it was like the government of sweden or something had a rails app that had to do with citizen ids and it's like the main portal that you use to access like benefits and driver's licenses and all of their kind of government-based services, and it sort of identifies you. And they basically shut it down because of this Rails problem. So, I, yeah, I thought it was, it was very interesting that this was caused by that. Yeah, one, one thing I wanted to mention about the whole Java thing is uh, a buddy of mine, he was saying, I guess he tweeted today, that the Danish public sector IT, I, apparently there's some sort of, uh, you know, the, the banks out there have some sort of Java applet that allow you to log into your banking info. So, you know, how everybody's telling you to disable Java on your browsers. Okay, so you disable Java on your browser, what are you supposed to do? How do you get to your money online? That is, so. That's an oops. Yep. I read an article, and we'll link to it in the show notes, that was talking about how Oracle knew about this exploit for months and didn't patch it, and this is like the second or third time that's happened. And both Apple and Mozilla, I think, are just disabling versions of the Java plugin, and I, I, I don't know if they constrained it to the specific versions, but in some sense, Oracle is, is I think, killing Java such as it's used on the web and I, with this behavior, because this is really just not acceptable. It's not, it, you know... Can we it, take away custodianship of Java from... Can we do that? Uh, JDK. Yeah. There's actually, uh, oh, you know, so this is one thing I did want to mention. There's a new Tumblr called DevOps Reactions, and I, have you guys seen this? No. DevOps, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll link to it in the show notes for people that haven't seen it, but it's, I think, DevOps React, one word, dot, Tumblr, dot, com. 
Uh, and there's actually, uh, and we'll link this in the show notes, there's one about Oracle shows up at a developer conference, and it's, it's one of these animated GIF tumblers, but uh, that provided some lulls over the, the holiday. But but yeah, it, it's it's kind of sad just to see the, the way they're handling this, because it's, it's kind of like, really? And, and it makes you wonder from a... Uh, if this is how Oracle handles Java, how does Oracle handle like their database software, software and other things, the other software they produce? It's like... You mean the software they aren't trying to kill? Yeah. Well, are they trying to kill Java? I mean, I didn't get the sense. I got the sense that they just didn't weren't just putting a lot of effort into it, but are they trying to kill it? I don't know. It's, Sometimes I think they're trying to kill everything that isn't actually Oracle database. It's a big mystery. Well, so that's news and views for uh, the first episode of 2013. Next up, 2012 retrospective, 2013 prospective uh, on the ship show. Welcome back to The Ship Show. I'm Paul Reed. So for our first episode, we thought we'd take a look back at 2012 and a look forward at 2013 and see what trends and events happened that we thought were important and where we're going uh, in the new year. So I actually asked all of the hosts tonight to uh, come up with some things that were important to them in 2012. And I guess we'll start off with retrospectives tonight. And so, Sasha, you brought up uh, an interesting retrospective that you thought this was a big year for open source. Uh, and larger organizations. Yeah, I did. I've seen uh, more than just uh, the place that I'm at, too. People are, are more willing to free up folks in the organization to open source uh, and to, to participate in the open source community and not be quite so worried about what's, what's happening in the trenches and whether or not that's going to make a competitive disadvantage and realizing that, that becoming... Uh, good community members uh, of open source is actually these days with with cloud and everything uh, uh, kind of a good thing. So that was kind of cool. I mean, where I'm at right now, we have a GitHub account that we're allowed to publish to, and we're working on getting the ability to have uh, what we can already publish back to Chef, and we're looking we're working on getting the ability to submit pull requests for OpenStack as well. So, are there any companies uh, that stand out when you you're thinking about this? Well. I don't usually talk about the place where I work on the air, but that's a, a rather large retailer. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, of course, Netflix, right? Because uh, they actually, uh, they're, they're one of their newest philosophies that I read, I think, on Twitter was, you know, it's amazing how much more care developers take with their code when you tell them they're going to have to, when, when you give them permission to outsource it. So uh, Netflix has been using that not only as a way to stay, to be good community members, but to, um, to encourage good behavior in their developers who well, so like to open source. Right. That's actually interesting. Uh, an interesting side effect is when your code is actually going to be open sourced, and and especially on GitHub where there's your avatar and it's related to your account, that might actually go other places with you. Um, and to have your name attached to that code you were talking about, they take a little more care. It's kind of an interesting side effect. And the reason I asked too is you know, Netflix is, is certainly a younger company, and then uh, you see uh, Etsy releasing a lot of their tools. They're younger companies. But then you mentioned the company that you're uh, currently uh, with. And so so that was actually your point, is that it's it's not just the young companies doing this. It's, it's kind of starting to be across the spectrum. Right. So when I first started a couple of years ago, and I'm, I've been in and out of this company several times. And uh, when I was in there a few years ago, in order to use anything open source, you had to submit a dissertation on why it was okay to not pay for the software. Okay. So, and now, uh, we, we actually have... Uh, the ability to do that. I don't think there is a, a justification requirement anymore. And in addition to that, we're allowed to, to submit pull requests and, and, sub, and publish stuff that we're working on. Yeah, um, it, it has, it's been interesting to see the change in, in paperwork, right, to get open source. The conversation has changed from, hey, I want this thing, and it's confusing about not paying for it, to, hey, I want to use this thing, you know, what, and then people ask, what's the license, what's the you know, what are those issues? Uh, what's the support? You know, what's the history of the project? Uh, and then you, to now... Companies. And who are we going to sue if, if it breaks our stuff, right? That's the big thing with big companies. Well, so you know what's interesting? There, there is an element of that, but to, to your point about big companies sort of becoming more comfortable with that, actually, it's not so much that I've seen who are we going to sue because, you know, they have their own engineers that are trying to vet this stuff. So there is, they're taking a little bit of responsibility for that. 
but it is also, is this someone's weekend GitHub project? And are we going to put our multi-million dollar product, have it rely on this one library that nobody uses? You know, they, they just want to see the history and see who else is behind it. And when other bigger companies like Netflix are using it, there's a little bit more confidence about that. So it, I, I think you're totally right. It's nice that it's, it's a conversation now as opposed to a prove to me that this is not a weird thing. Like, you're, get, you're getting this library for free? What? You know? Right. Well, I, I think there are, there are tools that can mitigate that risk. I mean, I think I've talked about this before. I want to say that either Sonar has a module or some other tool has a module that will actually go through and check your libraries and say, okay... These are the type of, you know, whatever, GPL version 1, 2, or 3, or Apache, or MIT uh, licenses that, that these particular libraries use. So, um, but it's interesting to see that the enterprise is kind of moving towards more, you know, let, let's, uh, you know let, let, let's, let's sort of bring in a tool that's going to help us save money as opposed to, well, you know, what's the support contract associated with this, or is there a support contract associated with this? But, yeah, that's um, an interesting shift. I, I still see a lot of, you know, open source tools, especially Hadoop. There's a bunch of companies that are being formed around, you know, Hadoop and big data type oh, yeah. software. Yeah. Well, that's true so. too. Also, the fact that people are being willing to be more willing to use open source is a sign that they're also willing to invest more and in the people they're hiring as opposed to using IT as a commodity type thing and this so they pay less for software and then, you know, you do pay more for people. But that means that you have smart people in house. Yeah, well, so EJ, you mentioned something in retrospective, talking about open source is always kind of a, 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 can be an example of this, but isn't always. You had mentioned that this year you kind of had internalized that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people talking in our industry, there's a lot of voices, and that people can be, I think the phrase you used was blinded by fan, fanboy or fangirlism. What, what, what made you think of that or how, how sure, do you... I, I, don't, I don't want to mention any particular company names it it all but i've seen a lot over the last year uh especially where i'm headed professionally and there is the, the realm that i'm in now where people are touting um this is the way to do things but then behind the scenes dig in a little bit and you realize that this is sort of an antiquated approach and there's better tooling there's a faster turnaround uh if you do it a different way so yeah, I, I don't know. I also think uh, back to the open source bit too. Um, one of the other sort of interesting things I'm seeing is I, I feel like open sources are also become a way for companies to find or inspect how you can actually work or how well you work within a community or your knowledge of a particular area and use it to uh, stock the pond, so to speak. Right? I think Netflix is doing that pretty well right now. Well, that's the whole. Um we don't interview people. We just look at their GitHub stuff and go from there, which has its pros and cons. But yeah, uh, but but to this this point, Paul. So Netflix has open sourced a ton of software and a ton of really awesome software, right? And if you see that somebody is contributing to the software, that would be a really great hire for Netflix because they also use all the software internally. And so what they actually open source, I don't think is you know bit for bit uh, what they're actually using internally. So it would be nice to have those great contributors on their side of the fence, right? That's that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of the software that Netflix is putting out on GitHub is Amazon Web Services centric. I mean, things like Chaos Monkey, Janitor Monkey. I mean, there's other stuff like RKS that can, you know, pull into your own um, infrastructure, but it seems like they're, you know, obviously their <clears throat> their bread and butter is uh, Amazon Web Services, so I mean, doesn't mean that everything that they put out is going to be applicable to 30, 40% of the the market or even even 25% of the market. I mean, oh, of how course many... not. You, I, I totally agree with you. I'm just saying that if there's somebody that's an active contributor to one of their open source projects, I could see them wanting to you know, make that internal like Netflix employee, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, I mean, if you look at the, you know, another great example of this, and there were some, some issues with this, but a lot of the Mozilla Corporation, when they, when they kind of incorporated, a lot of their earlier staff was, was they hired community members because they were interacting with the project. And so they had, you know, the background for how the work was done. But then also, when you're making the hiring decision, you, have, you don't have to do the coding problem because you can look at their patches and, and see what kind of developer they are. You know... It's interesting uh, on on both the you you were talking about the 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 fanboy fangirlism and then the open source part. It almost seems like 
part of that is is marketing in terms of if your company is releasing a lot of open source that can almost become not only on the developer side but on the public marketing side you know good, good corporate citizen side it's sort of become kind of a, a way to market your technical infrastructure you sort of mentioned this, EJ. One of the other things you had mentioned, uh, you mentioned this earlier, but then you also kind of called it out, was just because a particular, and I won't rattle off the list because we all know the big names, but a big company's doing something, it doesn't mean that it's right for your organization and even that as it relates to kind of people talking in the space and, and that kind of stuff. Was there, again, something specific that helped you internalize that this year? Or? Yeah, it's really tough to without getting into real ultra-specifics, and maybe I shouldn't have put it in there, but... Again, there are a lot of, well, even even example, uh, like even Facebook released uh, several videos this year with regard to how the release engineering department works. And I think all of us have at one point in time or another had a pretty good chuckle at what they're doing with regard to if that same practice was applied to wherever we worked at that current point in time, how much like a fart in a spacesuit that would have been like. It just would not have worked. I'm thinking about like the ISOs at and other things that we saw in these videos that it's amazing that it works in their shop and it makes tons of sense. Oh, so here's another example. So where I'm at currently, we're talking about a code review tool, right? And uh, currently we're using something called review board and it's just passing by the skin of its teeth. And uh, we've talked about a lot of other things. And I went to the Jenkins user conference this year and I talked earlier in a different podcast about the trunk gating that I saw with Garrett and Zool. And so as we're going through this process of how do you want to do code reviews, I keep bringing this thing up about trunk gating and how awesome it is to really control your code reviews such that nothing gets into the code base until it's been reviewed. And people are like, no, we're not talking about that kind of code review. So this, this process that exists out there for some other company doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for what you're doing. And yeah, it, anyway, yeah, so that's, that's my example. I, yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. There's certainly something to be said for you'd mentioned one of the things you learned there's you know, there's a lot of voices uh in this space talking and the, there's been a running joke actually on twitter the last couple of weeks about thought leaders and i i was thinking oh, i hate that yeah, yeah well, so it's funny right because it seems like we have a glut of thought leaders and i was thinking about my own thoughts about that and i was like one of the things we might be we have plenty of thought leaders we need more execution leaders and part of i think the whole execution leader that concept is that there are a lot of great ideas, and, and it was funny that you, you talked about Facebook and what wouldn't would work. I think a lot of the things that work at Facebook work because Facebook has a very specific engineering culture that works for them. And if you have a different engineering culture, taking their process wholesale and even taking their tools wholesale may not work. And so part of it is that there is a translation process that needs to happen. There, there is a, uh, Sasha, we were talking about this earlier, about DevOps culture. The, you have to actually, you can't just take a culture to a, a new place and say, okay, this works here, let's do it. The United States has experience with that in the Middle East. It doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite translate. The jokes don't translate. You need to actually do a little bit of translation. Uh, and from a perspective, uh, you know, I, I didn't have this on my list, but from a 2013 perspective, I mean, maybe that's something that we'll start to learn and internalize more that just talking about it is important, but copied it wholesale doesn't quite work. Yusuf, you uh, mentioned a retrospective that I thought was interesting talking about developer tools. You were talking about the market for solid developer-oriented tools. And yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, last year we, we saw kind of a flurry of, of a lot of different developer tools, and GitHub's been around for, for a while, but the, the $100 million funding of GitHub and then Perforce's kind of, I guess, response to GitHub's popularity with Gitfusion and... Um, I think, you know, if, if anything, 2012 kind of proves that there definitely still is a market for solid developer-oriented tools. I'll say this, uh, I, I don't think configuration management, version control, and, you know, everything that's associated with those types of uh, tasks is a, is a solved problem. Otherwise, you wouldn't be having people coming up with, you know, new ways of, of doing those types of things. So I, I think we'll hopefully continue to see more tooling and, and, and better tooling in, um, in 2013, but, uh, or, or, or enhancements, rather, to the, to the existing tool sets that are out there. Well, so it's interesting, you talk, if, if you read sort of the Silicon, it's Silicon Valley sort of centric, but kind of the VC focus, the two big markets you seem to, to hear repeatedly are, are mobile and enterprise. And to your point, it seems like there's developer, developer tools aren't really enterprise per se, 
but to do both of to do both of those spaces and really any other space, you do need good developer tools. And, and uh, I remember a talk by one of the founders of GitHub saying that GitHub, one of the things that they found that was successful was the fact that really they're selling to businesses. It's a, it's a B2B business because developers are using their stuff, but it's the corporations or the companies that pay for it. And so that if you can evangelize that on the developer level, it's a great market to be in because developers sell it to the companies, they pay the bill, so you actually don't need to focus as much on marketing and convincing. It's one of those, it's kind of, you know, one of those brand loyalty things that if you hooked when you're younger, you'll take that, uh, this is a big thing in car makers actually, if you buy a Honda when you're younger, you'll keep buying Honda sort of thing. So if you use GitHub early on and then you'll take that to other environments so that they were saying it's a good market to be in. One of the retrospectives I had for 2012 was DevOps becoming sort of a household word. Sasha was, was seemingly laughing at that. She was like, who's, who's household? <laughs> Is that a word? In but, but what I meant was all of the coverage around Mitt Romney's IT organization versus Barack Obama's IT organization what I meant is that I think part of it is is you're really starting to see people are looking at the differences in successes and failures of organizations, companies, campaigns. And what you're starting to see is people saying, well, we were able to do these things because we had a non-dysfunctional IT organization. We had, a, we had DevOps best practices in these certain ways. And that's really starting to define some differences in ways that aren't how does Netflix do it, or Etsy, or whatever? It's like this affected the the way an election ran, or the way a campaign ran. And I had another example, and I was trying to remember what it was that that wasn't just technology centric, but it was really DevOps allowed them to do that. And I think that's interesting, and and I think we'll see that trend continue where it's starting to affect more things that you wouldn't think about. Oh yeah. Well, so looking forward a little bit to uh, 2013. One of the, uh, yeah, uh, it's interesting, uh, we didn't mention this, but there was the big Netflix uh, outage on Christmas Eve, uh, actually. That was kind of a problem, and I, I think that was a Amazon-related outage. But uh, I think for one of the things I'm predicting in 2013 is that uh, we'll have to change how we look at postmortems whenever there are outages uh, at big cloud-based services that, you know, GitHub, they're developer-centric, or you know, AWS, and that kind of affects a, a bunch of different organizations. A lot of times, the write-ups are really great. They're very detailed. But at the end, the what are you actually changing, it's very sort of muddy. So I think that the honesty that we've seen in sort of what happened, or at least I'd like to see this occur to the, like, what are we actually going to do about it, and have more specifics around that. So I just think that whole process of postmortem in a public way, is, is going to continue to be developed and evolve in 2013. So, speaking of postmortems uh, and cloud-based tools, Yusuf, you mentioned that uh, you thought security initiatives in the in the uh, for data in the cloud are going to be a big thing this year. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I think it, it is an issue, but I think it's going to continue to be continuing um, an issue that that a lot of cloud providers are going to look at. I think more and more companies that rely on the cloud are going to have to think about okay. Whose, whose responsibility is it to maintain, you know, secure infrastructure? Again, it depends on, you know, cloud is just a, such a generic marketing term. So if you're running on a PaaS, you don't really to run the, uh, the operating systems behind the um, whatever the blocks, the Heroku blocks or whatever it is that they call um, that, that you're running your software on. Or if you're running an AWS, whether it's an outage or some sort of security related issue that... that happens with, with AWS. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think the companies are going to continue to look at what are some ways that can continue to kind of bolster, you know, security and... and um, well, so, so certainly uh, one of the issues I think, there was, this was in the news, every once in a while you see like a, a HIPAA issue, right? And, and this happened at one of the states, someone stole a laptop. And, and this isn't the cloud, but as we start putting more services up into the cloud, there are actually some really, you know, serious uh, consequences for the data we store up there. Sure. Uh, and I don't think, you know, I would actually extend this prediction to, uh, I think we may see in 2013, and certainly in the next two to three years, we may see a massive cloud-based data breach. 
one doesn't come to mind, uh, and maybe listeners know of, of one that I'm just not thinking of yet, but we'll see one, and, and it's interesting, right, because who's liable for that? And so liability will become a thing, because Amazon's going to say, well, we're not liable for that, to, for our terms of service and stuff, and that, you know, that makes sense, that's a, a valid argument to make, but, you know, that may become actually a big issue, too, sort of liability issues. Wait, wait real quick, I, in, in Amazon... You're responsible for taking that AMI and creating an instance and then securing it, right? I, it's not, I'd be like if you had a data breach at your hosting company and because you didn't shut down firewall ports or something, you're going to sue the hosting company, right? No, not necessarily. But what happens if you take an AMI from somebody else or something that Amazon provided? I mean, oh, I can... you're saying like you're not. You're not using an AMI that you've created from scratch. Yep. You're going to recycle something, and there's a the back door in there or something like that. Or, yeah. or let's say you're using Elastic Beanstalk. Uh, um, yeah, then example. you're not creating the AMI, though, right? Yep. And yeah. That's sure. sort of a... I, I'm not talking about that situation. Okay. Well, All right. okay, cool. Interesting. Well, and that also the issue, right, if the... I, I, we've seen this, right? The law often gets technology details wrong or... It, it's the Ted Stevens, the Internet's a series of tubes sort of thing. And if the data breach is big enough and it's a $2 billion lawsuit or whatever it is, right, a $500 million lawsuit, they're going to just start listing people to sue. Amazon will be called as a party to a suit only because they were involved. So the interesting point to see will be how do they deal with that, right? I think there's some liability questions that, sure, they're in the terms of service, but when the sums of money get big enough, then, and it goes to court, that's when things get interesting. So, it'll be interesting to see if anything like that happens. So, but you mentioned uh, use of uh, greater enterprise adoption of DevOps. Yeah, what, what kind of, it seems like there is already a lot of adoption, but what, what, in what space, what ways, what greater ways? I, I think what we're going to continue to see is, you know, not, not just the uh, groups like uh, Gartner and, um, whoever else, you know, throwing around the term, but you're going to start to see enterprise um, size companies say, you know what, maybe, maybe we can take some aspects of DevOps and customize them to the enterprise um, so that we can compete against some of the smaller guys. And for those of you who think that the enterprises are not afraid of the smaller guys, they are. They don't, they don't admit it, but they are. So a lot of the companies that are more DevOps-oriented or more agile or whatever, you know, that, that's, that's definitely going to start to seep into you know, a lot of uh, enterprise executives' minds and such. Sure, but, you know, we were talking about this earlier in terms of, of exporting process. I, I think one of the things that's always difficult at the enterprise level because you're, you're talking about a, an organization at scale, just lots of people. And we sort of have seen this with Agile, where taking Agile ideas and then trying to kind of introduce them into the enterprise. I can totally see from a executive level saying, hey, DevOps sounds really good, let's do it. How do you think that will actually play itself out when it tries to be implemented? Well, I, I don't know. The pessimist in me says that the term is going to get grossly abused, just like Agile was. Um, I think it's already um, that's that's part of my perspectives, right? I mean, this is terrible. It's uh, just hurting me right now with the whole design by DevOps. What? <laughs> I read this great article on a new tool. I mean, it's a fantastic tool. It looks really awesome, but the whole uh, the whole blog post was peppered with the labels of DevOps tools and the DevOps tool and things. And I'm like, what is a DevOps tool? Help me. So here's a question. Do you think, so Agile had this, has this problem, I would say. You know, it, it came into sort of the consciousness. It was deployed in certain organizations with, uh, deployed, haha, but uh, deployed, used in certain organizations with a lot of success. There were a lot of big visionary names that we all kind of know behind it talking about it. And then it was used, it kind of permeated the industry to varying degrees of success, and it kind of got co-opted. And so you're saying you think that'll happen with DevOps in 2013? I think it's just being labeled, things are being labeled DevOps because it's cool to label things DevOps, but you can stamp as many labels on your enterprise tool as you want, and it's still going to be an enterprise tool that was designed by people who are 60 years old and don't really have an idea of what's going on. Well, but... Let me ask that then. So how do you think DevOps will react to that? And that's, I mean, that's kind of a vague question, but I mean... How do, you, how do I think the culture will react to that? Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, and, and actually that's a good question because I'm sitting here feeling just 
oppressed by the labeling of tools as DevOps tools and, and sitting to myself thinking, oh, I'm going to end up calling these things by these labels because that's what people understand when they talk about stuff. And then I just feel sad. You know, certainly that's interesting you say that because you and I are both consultants and a lot of times, and, and anybody looking for a position in this space, like, you have to search, you have to use the DevOps search term even if it's not, like, related to DevOps really at all, just because that's, it's the buzzword. And so, I guess we'll have to, in, in 2013, be looking at that. It's going to be, you're saying the buzzword's going to become even buzzier. I think it's going to overpower the culture, and I, I see this happening Already, like, we've had some DevOps meetups here in Minneapolis, and the, the talk immediately goes to tools. And it's not that I think that the tooling isn't important. It's that people think that tools are a panacea, and they don't want to talk about culture because it's hard. And I know I sound like a broken record because everybody has already said this before me. I, none of the things that just came out of my mouth are new ideas or original. I mean, people have been saying this for, for several years now, and, and I think that it's just getting worse about it and it makes me a little sad well you know what i found interesting one of the things about agile that when we were you know we we're talking about having it having sort of permeated the industry one of the big things that i remember learning about agile was this whole thing about well take what works for you and leave what doesn't work for you and so i used to call that cafeteria agile you know cafeteria catholicism just take take whatever works and part of the problem was that organizations would take the sexy sounding parts or the easy parts and do those, but the thing that, the glue that sort of made the easy parts actually work was the hard parts. And if you left those, you kind of actually didn't have Agile. You had scrum meetings where people stood up and talked for 15 minutes every day, but you weren't actually getting in the benefits. Right. And so what I find interesting is that idea, when you see DevOps being adopted, it seems like people are saying, well, you know, certain parts of DevOps really like, but I don't see in any of the DevOps literature or discussions about it, they don't talk about you can take certain parts and still be fine. They're sort of... No, I think they're really serious about the culture being the missing piece. If you if you go and try and, and do some of these implementations of things like CI without without the culture to back it up, you're just going to have a mess, a hot mess. Yeah. A lot of I, sad, bitter people. Yeah, and I'm wondering, though, if, if the reason people are thinking they'll be successful is because that was part of, Agile actually said that. And I think, I'm trying to remember, and I won't be able to dig up the article, but I thought I read something that was actually talking about how a lot of the Agile thought leaders sort of have backpedaled on that a little bit because they've, they've seen like it doesn't work if you give people permission to take the parts they want and not have to deal with the parts they don't want to have to deal with. It just doesn't work. Well, I mean, you can have, like, you can buy DevOps tools on where my air quotes when I need them, right? You can buy DevOps tools and not have a DevOps culture because DevOps tools, is, it's just a label, just like yeah. anything else. Yusuf, you mentioned OpenStack versus AWS and sort of the eternal struggle between gardens and open ecosystems. Yep. So, you know, last year we saw a lot of stuff come out from the um, OpenStack uh, initiative, a lot of uh, companies signed on, um, and, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, we're better than Amazon Web Services because we're not a walled closed garden, and we support a more open source, open ecosystem, and folks on the AWS side saying, no, the OpenStack guys or, and gals don't really know what they're talking about, so I think we're going to continue to see some of that, and I think we're going to continue to, I for one think competition is good. I think OpenStack keeps AWS on its toes and vice versa. So hopefully we'll get to see some interesting things come out from both sides. Any prediction on, well, this is hard to say, what, hard to define what a winner would be, but... It, it's, it's, I think it's still a little early to say. Um, it's, it's tough to say. I, I think it's really going to depend on how much time and money the companies that are backing OpenStack put into it. They have some pretty hefty, big enterprise-sized companies behind it so it'll be interesting to see if all of them can kind of put away their differences i know the OpenStack, i guess group has been having some challenges and the way they want to do certain things so it'll be interesting to see if they can put away those differences and say okay you know collectively we want to make a great product and be able to give people options other than amazon web services and by the way i'm not saying that, that aws is the only cloud provider out there there's a bunch of other ones but sure though Right. Yeah. So. Well, and uh, I have to say, I you know not to cut in again, but I we we use OpenStack where I'm at, and I wouldn't use it in production. Mm. Um, 
people and I, I get I get for this from my coworkers because they're like, well, the problems aren't really OpenStack. They're the, the disk clustering stuff that we use in the back end. And I'm like, dude, that is one of the layers of the OpenStack stuff that we have. You know, it may not technically be OpenStack, but it's definitely in the mix and it makes a lot of trouble for us and it's getting better, but I wouldn't use it in production. And the other thing that I've seen that makes me just, there are several things, I guess, I'm not even going to go into it here, but it's really super super duper fantastic in dev because it gives devs the ability to pop up VMs and, and kill them all day long without any trouble. But as far as reliability goes, I, I wouldn't use it in production. Well, so, so that's interesting because this is sort of also the eternal closed source versus open source debate, which has changed over time. But uh, what I thought was interesting is you're saying, people are saying, well, the, the disk, it's something with the disk driver spin, whatever, whatever the thing is. It's the clustering. It's the clustered file system software yeah. that we're using. Right. So, but but what's interesting is that from an open source perspective, like the way that you sort of solve that is like, well, you dig in and you look at the source code and you fix it. Whereas AWS is like, here's the here's the product offering we have. Here's the APIs. It's great. And you can use it, and it and it sort of mostly works. Like EBS mostly works until it doesn't work, and it really really doesn't work. Whereas, you know, with OpenStack, it's that open source model of it kind of mostly sort of works some of the time. So, yeah, it, it, there is certainly a kind of a correlation there that's kind of interesting. I, I noticed I missed this one, but I think it's important to talk about, Yusuf, you on your retrospective. So for 2012, you thought that there was less emphasis on the type of programming languages and sort of more on tooling in terms of, like, tooling APIs and, I guess, community adoption of the tooling and the APIs. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I, I'm seeing a lot of companies pop up, or I saw a lot of companies pop up last year. Parse comes to mind, and there's a bunch of other ones that are providing you with um, APIs to do all sorts of interesting things, you know, with big data or whatever. And I don't think the emphasis is uh, on, okay, well, uh, C Sharp, or you should do it with, you know, your Visual Studio tooling stack or with your, with your Java Eclipse stack or whatever. I think it's more on you know good solid APIs that are architecturally sound, and the other thing is community adoption. Um, we've mentioned this before. We've talked a little bit about you know Chef and CF Engine. They're both great tools. It kind of sort of seems that Chef has more community adoption. So yeah, I think we're going to continue to see more of that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's interesting. Uh, one of the things you said that I that I keep seeing, and I, I did link to this because when we talked about, I linked to this in, I think it was the last show, show notes. You were talking about APIs, and there's this idea that has been said a few times. I don't know that I buy it, but uh, was saying that the new open source is an SLA and an, I, uh, and an API. Uh, and there's a lot of problems with that, but that definition, in my opinion. But the point being that we're seeing a lot more applications that you can write the front end and Node, if you want, or Django, if you want, if you're PHP or a Python person, or PHP, if you're a PHP person, you can pick whatever framework you want. And a lot of the actual processing happens via some API, and it could be in Erlang or, you know, whatever fancy schmancy language of the moment the big data guys are touting, uh, or, you know, and being stored in some other weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of my uh, perspectives for 2013 is I think I think this year we'll have a big encryption wake up, or at least I hope we will. Specifically, I think we're seeing more and more attacks. So obviously, encryption is important for lots of reasons. We're seeing more and more attacks on the certificate of authority uh, infrastructure in the, in the browser space, and the the concept of giving a, a particular entity. A certificate that, from a technical standpoint, they can issue Microsoft.com and Google.com and Apple.com certificates is it's kind of weird. Uh, and I understand the technology behind it, but I, I think that's problematic in this sort of current environment. So we're going to see, uh, and this is nothing new. I think people have been thinking about this for a while, but I think we might start to see some, some movement on it. The other big thing that I think will be interesting in, in the encryption bit is I can't tell you how many times I've gotten on a new machine or sit down and try to use a particular service. And uh, one of the big ones, and, and I'm not picking on GitHub, but GitHub is the common one, right, where you will clone a repository. And it prompts me for, because I'm doing this over SSH, it prompts me for the, the host key. 
and I don't know what GitHub's host key is, so I always say yes. And there are tons of other examples. Uh, GitHub is the one that I'm familiar with, but where if you fire up an AWS instance and you SSH to it, you're going to be prompted with that host key, uh, unless you know. And, and maybe there's a way around that with AWS. But the point is, is as we rely on more cloud-based services, that initial connection, if it's not HTTPS, so we have a certificate authority-like system, we I think a lot of people just say yes to the SSH prompt, which from a technically is actually very dangerous to do because that could be spoofed. And I don't know that there's a good solution for that. Uh, and maybe if there is, if our listeners know of one, I'd love to hear about it. But I think we're going to have to come up with a way to address that. And it, we'll see if anything big happens this year, That any big hacks that turn out to be, well, somebody was man in the middle in GitHub for a while or something like that. That would be interesting if that happened. But it's something, it's a concern. And I think we'll have to start looking at the way we do public key cryptography again. And I know a lot of people are already looking at that, but I think we'll, that'll be a bigger deal this year. So uh, we'd like to open this discussion up to our audience. What do you guys uh, think were the big trends of 2012? And what do you think is coming up in 2013? Go ahead and uh, tweet us at Chip Show Podcast on Twitter and let us know uh, what you think 2013 has in store for release engineering and DevOps. We'll be back in a moment here on The Ship Show. All right, welcome back to The Ship Show. So for our last segment tonight, we uh, thought it would be fun to take a look back at 2012, the parts that you didn't get to hear. We do a lot of work here at The Ship Show to uh, make the podcast listenable and uh, palatable. Uh, It doesn't always come out like that on the first recording, so we've scoured the hours of recordings we have of, of the last year and put together uh, a bit of a blooper reel that includes just uh, all sorts of things. So uh, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, And here's our Ship Show Podcast 2012 blooper reel. For the end segment, I am going to listen to the hours and hours of interstitial crap of us just blabbering and come up with a bloopers reel. Dog jumped over the lazy cat. The brown dog jumped over the lazy cat. The brown dog jumped over the lazy cat. The brown dog jumped over the lazy cat. Hello, peoples. Hello. How are we doing today? Alive. Oh, my God. Alive is good. Let's see. Is it just us? Is Yusuf there? Did we find Seth? I saw him online. I saw him on AM. Um, I don't see him on Skype. I don't actually have him on my... Uh, he's, uh, okay, let me see. Let me see. I do, he, but he never shows up unless he's actually... Let me see if I've got him around here. I've got him on AIM, I'll ask him. Seth Thomas, it says he's online. There it is! Oh, oh come on, pick up, Seth. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Who's the curious George icon? It's me! The Curious George rocks. Okay. Did they ever make a, a like a live movie on Curious George, like with a real monkey, or was it just a cartoon? I don't know. They did. I think Brendan Fraser was in it. Oh, oh fail! Oh. Something I never wanted to know. Okay, that's not. Sorry. Yeah, thanks for ruining like, my life, Seth. <laughs> plant, plant that thought. Um, <laughs> why do I remember that? I'm gonna berate him. Oh, damn! Did you just get voicemail? No, you did not! Mr. Thomas, where are you? We are all ready to hear your... What the Ray just happened? Press three. Sunday or Monday, what? Uh, it's like... It's a couple weeks from now. Okay. It's, it's like October... I sent this an email. Doesn't anybody read the I send them? Hello. Hey, Hello. South. <laughs> Sorry, I, th- I, we're, I thought we were at 8.30. No. No? I, I, I saw the invite earlier. Sorry. Did I f*** it up? I didn't... Mean- well, well si- I thought oh. it said 6.30. It's at 6.30 Pacific. Did it? No, I asked. It. All right, let's get started. Let's do it. Let's see, this is episode, what, 11? 
or twelve? Uh, twelve, I thought. No, it's wait a minute. Hey, I, j- I just work here. I just hung up on Seth. Oh, hey, uh, quick question. Does anyone have news? Because as Yusuf so nicely pointed out, all the news I brought us this week is, I think he said thin, but I'll say I have a favor to ask either you or Yusuf. What's up? You were talking about T-Mux today? Uh, I'm using it at the at this very moment. Okay, I want you to do a tooltip segment about that, because I don't know what the that is. Um, you don't... We, oh. oh, wait, we got another. Are you supposed to join this call? What uh, news and views items would you guys like to discuss? Oh, gosh, let me pull those up. Let's talk about how EC2 sucks balls. Oh, we're just saving more material for the podcast. Don't worry. Are you high? No, no, I'm just allergy-ridden. I had a friend that was telling me, yeah, you should do a little pre-funking, pre-drinking before the podcast. I was like, it's not that kind of podcast. (laughs) Sasha, it sounds like you've been doing a little pre-funking. You guys all sounded like you were drunk like a half an hour ago. Oh, I put the order of saying hi in the in the channel thing, and uh, we'll reverse it. I've got some bullets, so I'm good. Did you shill that? Uh, no, why do you... No, I didn't do anything like that. Oh, why do you... Why do you ask? I think because you were ranting about it to me already in in IRC, weren't you? Uh, I don't don't know what you're talking about, Senator. just checking. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for answering the question. I, uh, listen, people need to know that their podcast host is not a crook, and I'm here to tell you I am not a crook. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's a crook. I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> <I'd>, seriously. <laughs> I was going to say... I think it's a little more, I don't know. No, it's not. It's, well, it <laughs> Why don't we be. save this for the recording? Okay. Oh, sorry. I'll shut up. Yeah, I'm almost done. I need whiskey. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. What a good idea. <laughs> Who bought the meth? <laughs> I, Who I, buys meth on the internet, though? I don't know. I was, I've meth watching, dealers use the square reader now? Is that what this I, is? I've been watching... Uh, that's awesome. I've been, I've been uh, watching Breaking Bad lately, so I've been catching up on so it's everything. Well, do, do, they, do, do they have meth dealers in the show that take credit? Because <laughs> that's, that's really the future. Uh, well, the no. No, but they so have the. They the do. Guy. Oh God, they do have a Bitcoin one. I was just gonna say, what is that thing? There's, there's a, there's, there's one, there's one uh, that is. So it's only accessible via Tor. By internet, drugs oh, on the yeah. internet via Bitcoin already. Via bit, via Bitcoin, but this is only accessible via Tor. So your traffic has to be anonymized. Yeah, I read about that. Oh yeah, it's and and they have reviews like Amazon style reviews. <laughs> like, oh, I actually right. have no idea if you can get illegal type drugs, but I know you can get like these are, these questionable no, pharmaceuticals. Drugs. You can you can actually look you can browse crystal meth online. Oh my and, god! You know, like, and, and look at ratings and people will be like, "Oh, I took this." How crystal do you know meth. this? Uh, I have friends. Uh, did we ever come up with a name for this segment I'm going to do? <laughs> well, well, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> well, Ali, it's no. Ali's a girl. Well, it could be Ali. What the hell? It's A L I. Yeah. Oh, now I'm, Jeez, now, ball, you're now, I'm crook, now I'm a crook and a racist. Great. <laughs> Great. Really? Wait, we weren't supposed to drink? Oh, oh man. Are you drinking? <laughs> when am I not? So, you know, <laughs> that, that was supposed to be funny, and then when I said yeah. it out loud, I was like, that just sounds really well, sad. Now that I said it out loud. <laughs> He's very kind of old school like, go away, don't talk to me. He's not this DevOps culture, let's hug stuff. <laughs> Says that. Don't ask the questions in the Skype chat. Ask them to the I didn't want to derail people. the short bit that we were doing, mostly. And yeah. I also, I'm not going to admit on the internet that I don't know what something is like that. I'd love to have him on the show, but I don't want it to turn it into, like, a hand job love fest. I really don't. What? Oh, what? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that was a thing, but now... <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, you guys want to go alone without me? Wow. I'm glad I have a drink. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you guys get up to in San Francisco. Uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's... Sorry, I'll stop. I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> oh, that's a bit... <laughs> this is going to be one of those shows, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just hilarious. I mean, they were just like, la, 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 I love strip clubs. You know, they were like having a really earnest discussion about it. Skipping, skipping the field, holding yeah. hands. Well, and apparently I told the guys it. about it, yes, on Monday or whatever. And they're like, yeah, that's not even the worst, pro- that's not even the worst conversation. <laughs> said it that way. They didn't even talk about the cocaine. I was gonna say, I have this image of them skipping along holding hands. We love math. Math is so tasty. Oh, man. We uh, are, are we recording? We are, but I edit the shit out. Promise? Yeah. Yeah. Did I say that out loud? We should probably edit that out. <laughs> I really, I have some real bitter feelings, and I don't actually want any of them public. Their strong suit is not communication, typically. Their uh, strong suit is communicating with vax machines. <laughs> we call that communing <laughs> with vax machines? Communing. Right, exactly. It's like a horse whisperer, the vax whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> Are we the readies? Never. Nope. All right, let me do let me do one last thing. Um, okay, hopefully we can uh, bang this episode out real quick. Move on with life. What is your one purpose in life? What is your one purpose in life? What is your one purpose in life? To ship, of course. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode six of the Ship Show. I'm your host, Paul Reed. Uh, sober. Oh God. Let me try that again. <laughs> I forgot how this works. Yeah, I did. I'm your host, Paul Reed. Sober Build Eng on Twitter and at soberbuildengineer.com. And who's with me tonight? Uh, this is Yusuf at Build Scientist on Twitter and buildscientist.com. This is Seth at Cheese <laughs> Did you publish? Oh, the sorry. Take two. So, welcome to the yet-to-be-named podcast. Uh, Teenage Shop for Take Two. And who's with me on this crisp fall evening? Hi, it's EJ Saramella from Boston, Massachusetts. One thing, sorry, sorry. Trainwreck. Uh, EJ, welcome back. Hey. It's been a couple episodes. Glad to be back. Yeah, you you have been training for a triathlon? No, Uh, not really. Oh. (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) Um, Strike one. <laughs> uh, this is Yusuf at Build Scientist on Twitter and uh, BuildScientist.com. And this is E. Saramella, EJ Saramella. Uh, at f- can I screw that up some more? And Seth Thomas uh, at Cheese Plus on. Ah, sh- do it again. <laughs> Take two. Our last uh, news and views item uh, this evening is uh, comes from. Uh, a blog post about uh, a father who, uh, Mike Hoy, apparently, who uh, went and hacked together uh, or hacked on the uh, Zelda binary. Um, so so uh, I'm going to start over because I've already screwed this up. I was going to try and save you there, Paul, but you, yeah. we should really just start that over. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So apparently the Hugo Awards were using a platform to stream out their um, their their live stream. And uh, after showing some clips of the... Um, dude, I was so not prepared to be the person to talk about that shit. I'm not... You're going to still kick this off and stuff, right? Yes, I am. Yep. All right. Okay. Welcome back to The Ship Show. I'm Paul Reed. So on the docket tonight, bootstrapping developer workstations... Uh, can the automate automa- uh. the products and tools that came out of that area? Paul, you're going to have to clean it up a lot. I'm going to have to fly to San Francisco and beat you. Um, but I was unclear. All right, heavy breather. Stop breathing. Yeah, I saw her. I haven't seen any of this. I haven't seen it. This is um, I'm trying to display my first reaction to this idea. <laughs> I don't actually want to go in the air and say what I'm thinking. Which is, this seems kind of silly. Whatever you did, you sounded like you were underwater. Oh, really? Now I don't know. Oh, my mic fell down into my robe, that's all. It was like, I have a giant fleece. Is this even, hello? Oh, well, that's part of the problem. Let's do this. We can just change the script to be that you're reporting from outer space. Uh, I guess. Yeah, that'll be easy. That'll be easier. 
Get clo- get closer to your Wi-Fi access point. You're cutting out, and it makes me sad because you're saying good things. Uh, I moved into the office, and I'm actually farther away now. Oh. I don't have any cables. There Sorry. are no cables for my Mac. I know. I'm just yelling at you because you're saying good things, and I'm frustrated. How am I cutting out? This is so weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let me turn off the BitTorrent and see if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Let me turn off downloading all of the porn and illegal wares. I'm just sharing my stuff with the internet. When I was in the car the other night, I was I would have. Yeah, but can you dig up a link to it? Throw I'm it gonna it. go look for one right now. By the way, have you, uh, Sasha? You really tinny. Did you change a mic or something? Uh, is that better? Oh, that's way better. I was eating, so it was away from my face. Okay. Okay. Good. Feel free to eat away from your face. Am I cutting in and out? Yeah. All right. I will go to the office and plug into my computer. I'll have to get on a different Skype. And I'll have to sit in a chair at a desk. I hope you guys know what sacrifice I'm making for you. Wait, is she a real person or is she just a computer? Ready? Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sitting back down. Okay. I have, it's funny. I have like a total of four computers involved in this recording process so whenever I need to check something I actually have to get up and go to the other machine it's insane this is such a Rube Rube Goldberg setup you really need to simplify your life with with perhaps some automation yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna get on a plane and smack you (laughs) (laughs) yes this is the first time recording with the new mic so I'm kind of excited but I have no clue what I'm doing, so... Are, are you using the... Uh, you got the Samsung, right? Yeah, I got exactly when, the one you got. And it, it nice. you're right, it does look like this weird thing crossed between a Men in Black thing and, like, a dildo. Or some <laughs> sex toy. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I'm going to try this mic again. And uh, if, if I keep cutting out, then maybe that's just God's way of saying no one gives a shit what I have to say. I'm sure somebody does. By the way, you potty mouths, I'm going to have to bleep out stuff. Oh no, what did we say? And they want to give it a fancy title so that they can then make you be uh, their bitch, right? Yes. So I completely understand what you guys are saying when you're like, fuck all that shit, and fuck your fancy names, and whatever else, but um, Mark like Ambriaco. your enthusiasm yeah. and <laughs> everything. Just and your culture can go to hell, god <laughs> right? But I read in the pull request discussion, which was... Uh, newbies need it. People are like, "Fuck that!" I don't never heard of that shit until I already knew Ruby. Well, remember, I'm the one that runs the consultancy. We don't know what the shit we're doing works. <laughs> Is that your business card? It, yeah, actually, I have a funny story about that, but we gotta get going. <laughs> yes, I, please. I gotta, what the? Fuck? Ugh, Can we everything. have that for our our like our motto? What the? Fuck? the shit? Yeah. What the? Shit? What the? No. What the? Fuck? What the f- I like I like what the f- that's always a good motto. Uh, f- <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna start charging you for that. I know. Uh, but I'm it's to the point where I'm pulling stuff out of it again because so, I don't agree with I, none I, of I, this. I am awesome. her happiness and I will stand by that statement forever. F- y'all. Ah, f- you. F- you. Uh, by which by which I mean Firefox, not by any of you. <laughs> Heard that one before. You should code review that before you you grab it. There was a there was a one night and it was I was it Sasha. You were just cussing up a storm and I was just like I have to keep bleeping this. Was <laughs> oh wait a minute no damn it. We, this is the end segment for the show. God okay. Seth are you muted? Seth you're up. Oh, yeah, you might be muted. I've been muting, too. Oh, man, I was muted. All right, sorry. <laughs> I was doing it so good, too. So, from San Francisco, this is Paul Reed signing out. Oh, wait, no, wait a minute. Let me back up. All right, Seth. Just muted again. <laughs> from Minneapolis, this is Sasha signing off. From Boston, this is EJ signing off. Uh, have a great couple of weeks. Did I cut Sasha off? From San Diego, this is Yusuf signing off. Have a great couple of weeks. Bye. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, let me redo that part, too. (laughs) I'm just out of it today. We'll see you all in 2013. All right. Yay, doneness. Nice. Woo! Woo! Can I...
Seth, can I be a jerk and have you tape one more thing? And it was uh, my. <laughs> and I, All right. Sorry. Good luck editing that back into some sort of non-rambling. All right. I will talk to you all later. Okay. Maybe this weekend. If if later, folks. Okay. All right. Have a good one. Bye. 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 So there you have it, a bit of a, a behind-the-scenes look here uh, on how we happen to make the sausage here at this ship show, and we hope you still continue listening after hearing that. And with that, we'd like to ask our listeners, what do you think we should be talking about in uh, 2013? Feel free to email us at crew at com or tweet us at shipshowpodcast on Twitter. And uh, we've actually got some DevOps Dear Abbeys uh, stored up that people uh, graciously sent us at the end of last year. Those are coming. Plus, we have some interviews that are getting queued up for the new year that we're super excited about. And we'll be announcing those in the next few days and, and weeks and episodes. So, uh, from San Francisco, this is Paul Reed signing off. Minneapolis, this is Sasha Bates, signing off. Northern Massachusetts, this is EJ Sermella, signing off. In San Diego, this is Yusuf, signing off. Happy New Year, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.